Hey folks, just stepping in for a second to remind you, if you're thinking about getting some of our groovy bad advice fork in a toaster merch as a holiday gift for someone, or even for yourself, you are also a someone, I would suggest you shop now because, you know, 2020 holiday delivery craziness, and I want to make sure I get there in time. Go to quincummings.com forward slash merch and check out our t-shirts and cups and aprons and stickers and all sorts of fun stuff. Okay, that's my commercial for today. Cue that music. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not yams. I am not pumpkin. I am not sweet potato. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. Here's today's first question. This one comes from qcbad.com. I've edited it a bit for length. Dear Quinn, I'm a college student. For recent weeks, I can't stop looking at my local news and getting angry about random women getting murdered every day and authorities giving the murderers minimum punishment. These cases are increasing rapidly in my country since the pandemic, and our media cover them in a way that is sympathetic to the murderers every time. My friends advised me to try to shrug it off since it's beyond our control and told me it's always been that way and I must be extremely uninformed to only find that out now. This made me even angrier at our judicial system and my ignorant self. Gradually, anger has become a strong desire for revenge. I cannot concentrate. I'm losing memory and sleep. I scarcely feel hungry anymore. I'm scaring my friends. I can't imagine how I will be able to look at the bright side of life ever again before the murderers are killed in the same gruesome way they did their victims. I can't even imagine graduating anymore. I stopped reading the news and avoided people who are talking about the news for a few days now, but the extreme anger just keeps coming back. I can't escape the memory of how my parents thought the murderers were likable or honorable. I listen to music I used to enjoy. I look at photos of cats. I watch movies with friends. Nothing helps. Our college's mental health center is notorious for persuading, read, threatening, students with depression to quit college in order to avoid lawsuits for student suicides. I'm saving money for secretly going to a therapist in town, but it's more and more difficult for me to get through every day. Do you have any tricks to quench unwanted anger and regain the ability to concentrate? You are thinking something which has a basis in fact, but this thought is shouting so loudly it's keeping you from your actual life. These are called intrusive thoughts. 
They are both highly unhelpful and extremely unpleasant to live with, but you already know this. I understand your concern about being pressured to leave school, but honestly, this is not good. Women have been in existential peril for men since we ran around naked on the veldt. You heard these stories your entire life, whether you realized it or not, but you say this rage is a few weeks old. Something has shifted in your brain, and that something requires far more training than either of us monitoring it. You indicate you aren't in the U.S. By the way, your English is phenomenal. Maybe you are someplace where you can actually see people in person. I want you to see someone in person. Specifically, I want you to Google mental health in your postcode. I then want you to call each one of these people and say, I am a college student who has recently developed really bad intrusive thoughts. Do you have a sliding fee scale? If they say no, ask for referrals. Keep calling until someone says yes. This is not a suggestion. This is an order. And let me know when you find help. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, help. Dear Quinn, I come from a laid-back, passive-aggressive, but pretty mellow family. My spouse comes from a very boisterous, borderline-aggressive family. Spouse's family phone calls because of COVID are extremely loud. Everyone talking over everyone because they're all on speakerphone within each other's houses and frequently breaking into even louder arguments. I find this so, so upsetting. Listening to raised voices that are so tense, they squash it, they fight it out, they yell, they're done. My family, we simmer. We come to a very slow boil that cools off just as slowly. So I don't know how to cool down as fast from these arguments. They linger with me, and they make me feel anxious. Does my spouse need to cool it for my benefit, or do I need to buck up? The joke about my late father-in-law was the only thing louder than him disagreeing with you was him agreeing with you. My mother and I once had a vicious fight in a restaurant, and no one outside our table knew. I mean, we even stopped to order our dinner and began again as the waiter left. In short, hello me. Asking them to change is unrealistic, especially during these times, and asking you to just buck up is equally unfair. Let me tell you about a solution I had created for myself within my own family. During holidays like Thanksgiving in the time before the eternal now, when I would get overwhelmed by all the joyful noise, I would sneak away and wash dishes. This served a multitude of purposes. First, my sisters-in-law are magnificent cooks and bakers, and I am not. Washing dishes was a thing I could do. Second, I got some quiet, which as an introvert I desperately need. Third, Every year, one of my nieces or nephews, knowing I was in the kitchen by myself, would come in and get me caught up on their lives in a way I would never get to have at the table. But there were no dishes on a Zoom call, so what to do? 
I would like you to find something to do with your hands. And that thing is knit or crochet. I'm not fussy. If you don't do either, learn. Anyone who knits will tell you it's very meditative. It's repetitive. You have to both focus and not focus. And here's the thing about knitting. If you start to get stressed, it stops working because you're holding the yarn too tightly. So the gauge starts to go screwy. Knitting becomes a biofeedback mechanism for staying calm because you look at the thing in front of you and think, nope, I'm getting stressed, it's getting tight. Don't love how it turned out? Undo it and start again. It's far cheaper than cognitive behavioral therapy and less addictive than benzos. Also, this is a family Zoom call. This is not a royal summons. If you need to take a breath and wash a few metaphorical dishes, leave the room. I promise you they'll still be yelling when you come back. And if they try to rope you in on some argument, you smile and you say, oh, I do not think so. Thank you, though. And then you go back to your knitting. This one comes from Twitter. Dear Quinn, I'm still thinking of going platinum. I know this is a terrible idea, and even my other gays have moved on. And yet... Dot, dot, dot. COVID time is not regular time. Things simultaneously take forever and exist for no more than a second. It's like how when you're in a bad car accident, everything happens very quickly and very slowly at the same time. And yes, I wish I didn't have five examples of that in my actual life, but there you go. We're living trauma time, and trauma time is weird. Where am I going with this? The gays I know who went platinum did so in the first months of the pandemic, which means you can do it now because it's fun and retro. If Vogue magazine can do an article lauding the throwback charm of a juicy couture tracksuit, you may find your inner Andy Warhol. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject? A stationary stone catches a ton of moss. Dear Quinn, my partner is terrific. Loving, supportive, a terrific mate. But my partner has gotten very, or maybe always has been, lazy. Not in a slovenly way, per se, but zero motivation. I keep us moving for errands that need doing, upkeep, doctor's appointments, Mostly for myself, because I'm a get-her-done. But I'm a little annoyed because it's always me taking the lead or legit would not get done. I get that I make it easy for them, having learned it'll get done, because I'll eventually do it. But also, talks a lot about going back for graduate school, but never finished the application because they were put off I wouldn't outright write the essays. Talks about getting back into shape, but suffers every ailment and bad day when the time comes to move off the couch. I have tried sweetly encouraging and was told I was a nag and that they were not my child. It's not an impediment to our relationship like a deal breaker, but I do a lot alone, walks and the like. 
And I'd also like to unload a few of the responsibilities without the worry that it won't get done without either doing it myself or setting up the entire process to have them tap the bell in the end. Any ideas? You did not include a gender, but I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest this person might possibly identify as male. I mean, I have a 50% chance of getting it right. If they identify as male, I want you to consider something. This person may not have gotten very lazy. This person might be depressed. Depression in male-identifying humans can look very different than the cliches of what we think depression is. And what you've written ticks nearly all the boxes. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying they might be. And this would explain the resistance you're getting. Whether it's depression or not, they are correct. You can't force another adult to do anything. Back when we could go outside, there were rooms full of people nearly every hour of the day being reminded that they were powerless over alcohol or cocaine or pills or other people. But powerless is not helpless. You are not helpless. This is a good person who, for some reason, is getting in their own way. The world is filled with those. In fact, I'm going to give you some very bad advice. I want you to try a couple of Al-Anon meetings. If you don't know what that is, Al-Anon is the support group for people living with alcoholics. When? They aren't an alcoholic. Okay, but you are trying to control another person, and they are pushing back against that, and it's making you frustrated, and you need tools. These, now virtual, rooms are filled with people who realized trying to control someone making bad choices wasn't working at all, and they needed to find some serenity no matter what the other person did. I give you permission to love this person dearly, but to also step back, bite your tongue, slip into another room, and dial into a meeting. This one comes from QCBad.com. Subject, Cat Companion? Dear Quinn, I've had my approximately five-and-a-half-year-old cat for four years due to his attacking the other cats in his previous apartment. It was determined he would do better as a solo cat. He has aggression and anxiety issues and is on Kitty Prozac. He does bite and scratch me on occasion, usually when he's overstimulated, though sometimes it appears to come out of the blue. The issue I'm writing about is that when I let him out of my apartment to wander the halls of the apartment building several times a day, he without fail goes upstairs and sits in front of his former apartment. I'm sure he's smelling the other cats as well as the dog who lives in the adjacent unit. He is much more mellow now than he was as a year-and-a-half-year-old cat when I first got him. But am I playing with fire thinking about reintroducing him to other cats? There might be a cat roommate for him, but it would have to be a very particular cat. Because that is what we're talking about, a second cat. It's not as if cats have play dates. You're thinking about maybe another cat. Maybe. Here is my suggestion. Go to a local private rescue, some group who knows their cats really well, and offer to foster. 
indicate that if this is the right cat for your cat, this could easily turn into foster to adopt, but that this could also turn into learning that your cat likes smelling other animals but doesn't actually want to look at them or see them touching his stuff. See what the rescue suggests. If they have one they think might be a good fit, grab some feel-away, which is apparently a cat pheromone. I suspect it's hooey, but I've also seen it calm down cats getting to know each other, and we'll take anything we can get at that point. If you do foster, go to Jackson Galaxy's website and read his rules for introducing cats. Then, do them exactly. Do not speed it up. Everyone wants to get to the happy ending where the cats are braiding each other's hair, but if you rush it, this will not happen. Make sure each animal is safe and have no attachments to the outcome. At the very least, managing feline feelings will help the time pass. This one comes from Twitter. Dear Quinn, I'm married to a great guy, but recently came to the realization that I'm bisexual. I don't think it would be an issue for him, but I'm not sure if it's worth coming out to him or publicly because we're very happily married. But would not telling him be the same as lying? I'm going to appear to not be answering your question, but I am, so bear with me. Men's suits come in two varieties, off the rack and bespoke. Off the rack is exactly what it sounds like. You go into the store, you know your measurements, here's a suit, it's on a rack. You might get it hemmed to tweak it a bit to your body, but it's still pretty standard measurements. Bespoke means this suit is made on your body for you. Your tailor knows you hold one shoulder a little higher. You like a cuffed pant. You need an inner jacket pocket for your Beretta because you're James Bond. You get the picture. Others could wear that suit, but only the person upon whom it was tailored is going to feel perfectly comfortable in it. Sexuality is bespoke. Humans are complicated, and sexuality is complicated, and human sexuality is a freaking ride. For example, you are an adult. You are a married adult. You just realized you are bisexual, which is a big and fun thing to learn about yourself. Should you tell everyone? I don't know. Maybe. Should you wait until next year's Pride and go and say to everybody, we're going to Pride because I'm bisexual. Yay. Maybe. Should you tell your husband? Maybe you're worried he's going to ask you if this is going to change anything in your lives and you aren't completely certain of the answer yet, and that's fair. Maybe he deserves to know, even if what you can tell him is, I don't know. I'm not sure if not telling him is the same as lying, but I do know that big secrets create little fissures, and those fissures can let water in. I also suspect that your big, complicated, perfectly made sexual suit will feel a great deal more comfortable if you wear it with pride. This one comes from Twitter. Hi, Quinn. My 19-year-old college sophomore is home now, schooling virtually. 
She's been struggling with depression and anxiety. How hard do I push her to consult with her doctors and review her treatment plan? I want to respect her autonomy and decision-making skills. She's focused on her academics and doesn't want to distract from finishing the semester. How hard do I push? It's hard dealing with these adult people who used to be our full-time job. She is in a weird place in a rotten year. Her depression and anxiety may have pre-existed, but they are also a completely reasonable response. That doesn't mean they should be allowed to grow deeper roots. Treat her as the adult she is. Create a list of incidents and behaviors which have concerned you, write them out in an email, and send them to her after she goes on winter break. It's harder to argue with concrete examples of behavior, and you may get less pushback if she's reading it in an email where it's just neutral words on a page, not her mother saying them, looking her in the eye and somehow making her feel both very loved and slightly smothered and all over infantilized. End the email with a specific call to action, something manageable like, I need you to make an appointment with your doctor by the end of the week, or I will. Because, yes, she is an adult, but she's still a young adult. She's new to this. And she's a young adult whose brain isn't always her ally right now. Give her the option to step up. And if she doesn't, you must. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy, that's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y, at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D.com, and there's a question form right there. If you want to show people your feelings about bad advice, we now have bad advice merchandise with our fork and a toaster logo at quincummings.com forward slash merch. We do add new products from time to time, so check out the catalog. And let me know what you think. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.